conference known, at least in the media, for two issues that Listen Jesus to. never even mentioned. And I think what's happened, Joe, is that people started looking at evangelicals and politicization of the evangelical church on MSNBC. Oops. Do you have an invention idea but don't know what to do next? Anyway, so welcome back to the Just for Governator show. And shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Stoner in Tucson. And Two Stoned, excuse me. And KPYT, Pascal Yonke, Double Radio on the Rosa Trista Show. Wrong direction. Uh, look at te- television. Look at cable TV. It's a profane culture now. What happened here? We need to get our country back. Those kind of people kind of adopted the name, the label evangelical, when surveys show many of them don't even, can't even name two out of the four Gospels. It became a political marker, and it shouldn't be a political marker. It should be exactly what you described. People who are actually out there doing the work that Jesus assigned to us. It is happening. I uh, am leaving, for example, this week, I'm going to Ireland, Northern Ireland, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Prison Fellowship. It's an organization that was founded by Chuck Colson, who had a dramatic conversion when he was in prison, and he went out, and all over the world, there are volunteers who, in many countries, they don't feed their prisoners. They they rely on volunteers and family. And places like Brian Stevenson's museums in Montgomery and uh, the International Justice Mission run by Gary Haugen. These are great evangelical organizations run by evangelicals, but they don't get a lot of press. These days, it's the political lens that we see everything through, and and that's a real shame. Reverend Al's with us and has a question. Rev. Uh, Philip, uh, thank you, first of all, for for your witness. Uh, Let me ask you, because uh, we talked earlier about my own growth in this. uh, I I was never racist or anti-Semitic, but would say things I shouldn't say, playing to the crowd. And uh, Mrs. Coretta Scott King uh, was the one that kind of said, wait a minute, you can't be both, and and admonished uh, me to not use language, including the N-word. Do you think that events... Um, I've already heard this actually. Rosby, nine lives of Ozzy Osbourne. Green falls on her face. In New York, as most of you know, we are reluctant here to cover the never-ending avalanche of ramblings by the twice-impeached, disgraced ex-president, especially these days. They are incoherent, they are riddled with lies, they fuel conspiracy theories. But the reason we cover a select number of these ramblings and smears and lies on this program is this. Often, the targets of the ex-president's smears and verbal attacks become targets for real violence or worse. He should be charged with terrorism. Specifically about what Mike Pence, as vice president, could and could not do. So we also know that his grievances and lies is the fulcrum of a grave and growing current domestic violent extremism threat in the United States. The law enforcement contends with every single hour of every day. And behold, Donald Trump once again over the weekend. Oh shit, what happens? Lit a match 
the tinderbox that is American politics. With the midterm elections just weeks away now, the response, notably from Republican leaders, was particularly limp and pathetic. A statement by Donald Trump posted on his ailing platform went after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and his wife, Elaine Chao, in particularly personal terms. Chow is a former Trump cabinet member who resigned in the wake of the January 6th insurrection. We'll read the Washington Post reporting on this. Quote, he has a death wish, Trump posted late Friday on his Truth Social platform, criticizing McConnell for agreeing to a deal to fund the government through December. He also disparaged McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, who served as Trump's transportation secretary and was born in Taiwan in racist terms. That statement came just hours before Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene appeared at a Trump rally saying this, quote, Democrats want Republicans dead. And they have already started the killings, end quote. Of course, oh a delusional God. thing what to is say. She talking about? Mr. Trump, a spokesman for him, tells NBC News that it was, quote, absurd to suggest yeah. that the ex-president's comments could be seen violence. as an incitement to violence, saying that the comments were not meant to be taken literally. Really? It is the kind of defense that would require you to bury your head in the sand. Of course, Republicans are all too happy to do exactly that. Here's the Republican senator from Florida, Rick Scott, shamefully refusing over and over again to denounce both Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments. Uh, what I quoted you was a phrase saying McConnell has a death wish. He said racist things about Elaine Chow. And then they have already started the killings. I mean, that's not a policy dispute, Senator. Uh, the language is, is what I'm talking about. It not that dangerous? I, th- I, I think we all have to figure out how do we start bringing people together and have a common goal to give every American the opportunity to get a great job, their kids to have an education. They believe they can be anything. And you would agree that that language doesn't bring people together? I believe that what the I believe what the President Trump was talking about is the fact that we can't keep spending money. We are we're going to hurt our poorest families the most with this reckless. Who the hell's that? Do you know why so many smart people never hit their full potential? It's not lack of resources, opportunity. Our poorest families the most with this reckless Democrat spending, and we cannot. We got to stop it. We can't cave into their spending. Okay, that's not what the former president said. Um, and Coco Chow was the phrase he used to refer to a former. disgraceful things that happened over the weekend. That was the third. It's worth noting that Rick Scott had multiple opportunities across multiple network interviews to denounce Trump and Green. Ultimately, he finally sort of caved to what was going on and on CNN eked out this, quote, it's never okay to be a racist, end quote. A nonsensical statement that does not square with his ongoing support of Donald Trump who's a proud racist and a proud participant in vigils for the charged felons of the insurrection. Mm. Now, against this backdrop, 
of all this is a years-long spike in threats of violence and actual intimidation, confrontations, with critics of the twice-impeached ex-president bearing the brunt of all of that. It's a new normal for them. New York Times reports this, quote, members of Congress in both parties are experiencing a surge in threats and confrontations as a rise in violent political speech has increasingly crossed over into the realm of in-person intimidation and physical altercation. In the months since the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol, which brought lawmakers and the vice president within feet of rioters threatening their lives, Republicans and Democrats have faced stalking armed visits to their homes, vandalism, and assaults. It is part of a chilling trend that many fear is only intensifying as lawmakers scatter to campaign and meet with voters around the country ahead of next month's midterm congressional elections. The disgraced ex-president and the ongoing threat of political violence looming over our country is where we begin today. Former FBI counterintelligence agent Pete Strzok is here. Also joining us, Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large of The Bulwark, also an MSNBC contributor who writes on this topic today in The Bulwark. And former senator and MSNBC political analyst Claire McCaskill is here. Um, what is clear... Um, Pete Strzok, is that we don't have a circuit breaker anymore. We don't have a thing that breaks the fever. I looked to see if Mitch McConnell had recanted on a statement he made to Jonathan Swan when he was asked recently this year who he would support for president in 2024. That answer right now is Donald Trump. It's changed. Um, their office knows where to reach me. But what does it do when the person who targets politicians can still count on the support of said politicians. Well, Nicole, it does nothing but encourage it. Look, this is really, really concerning. After 9-11, the government spent untold man hours, resources, went to war and fought radical, you know, sort of terrorists and looking at what caused radicalization, what caused violent radicalization. And there was the same sort of pattern that began and again. It was the ability of people to take sort of a unformed grievance and make it concrete, tell people how they've been harmed, and then to translate that say these are the people that have done that harm to you and then from that to progress to taking those people who had done the harm and seeking to dehumanize them to belittle them because that all lowered the cost to doing violence and attacking those folks now if you look instead of at al-qaeda or aqap or isis and instead you look at donald trump and members of the republican party the exact same thing is going on right now and we're seeing the results in attacks on fbi field offices on federal judges getting swatted and having anonymous calls to 911 made drawing the police to their to their homes we are on a path to violence we are seeing the results of that violence it is what we have seen for decades Don't in an international terrorism context and now we're seeing it here at home and when you have trump when you have people like mcconnell and scott refusing to say anything all that does is allow this pattern to continue and i'm really worried about where we're headed and he's struck just to just to understand the extremism models um, where they have where countering extremism has worked and where it hasn't. Um, is there any example where the extremist is flattered and appeased and acquiesced, where the extremist threat of violence goes down? 
No, I mean, the, the, the best that we found as a government to try and combat radicalization is to go out into the communities here in the United States and abroad, talk to community leaders, talk to faith leaders, talk to political leaders, and say, you need to de-escalate this rhetoric. You need to hone and say this behavior is unacceptable. You need to, you need to work with law enforcement that people, when they are radicalized, or you see signs of radicalization, that you... See if I uh <gasps> Doke. <clears throat> Keep writing. Copy. Select all. Comment added. Tax. Tax the church.
Okay. You turn that over and you let law enforcement know. Now, compare and contrast that, which we in the FBI, DHS, and all across the U.S. government went across the United States asking communities to do. Compare that with the behavior you're seeing from Donald Trump. Compare that with behavior you're seeing out of Mitch McConnell or Rick Scott or Marjorie Taylor Greene or whoever you want to pick in the right wing of the Republican Party. They are doing none of those things. If anything, they're encouraging it. And I don't think in that environment you're going to see anybody with much of an impetus to try and slow down or de-radicalize given the heated environment that we're in. Um, The Wall Street Journal, which did more laundering and legitimizing of Donald Trump's presidency than perhaps any other outlet, they are as culpable as any news organization in this country for his presidency and his ongoing viability as a political figure. Charlie Sykes, they write this. This continues Trump's attacks on Elaine Chao, Mr. McConnell's wife, for being Chinese-American. Her real offense was resigning as transportation secretary after Trump's disgraceful behavior on January 6th. His feud with McConnell is also personal, as the Kentucky senator condemned Trump's January 6th actions and hasn't spoken to him since. But the death wish rhetoric is ugly, even by Trump's standards, and deserves to be condemned. Trump's apologists claim he merely meant McConnell has a political death wish. But that's not what he wrote. It's all too easy to imagine some fanatic taking Trump seriously and literally and attempting to kill McConnell. Let me read that again. Wall Street Journal today warns its readers this. It's all too easy to imagine some fanatic taking Trump seriously and literally and attempting to kill McConnell. Many supporters took Trump's red. Do you have an invention idea but don't know what to do next? Go to InventHelp.com now and get free information on how to get started today. InventHelp provides invention services that help everyday inventors get started. So anyway, um, shout out to KAMB student radio at the University of Arizona. Response. Trish reacts. Hashtag Trish reacts.
textbook definition. Definition. Okay, I'm just cleaning this up. Hide. This is an ASMR, by the way, um, of crickets. I'm tagging Daily Show, Yamiche Alcindor, Peter Baker of New York Times, Michael Cohen, Minus Touch Network. Uh, Hugo Lowell, I'm not sure who he is, I forget. And Christianity Today. Mm, I'm on Women's March. Okay. We're just going to drive to the landing page, which is perfectly fine. But if you have the opportunity to use lead forms, make sure to check out the videos that we have on lead forms because they're pretty good. Selecting your bid strategy. It only gives you two options. Maximize conversions and target CPA. Here's what you're going oh, to do. Oh, shit. going to do a very close... Many supporters took Trump's rhetoric about former Vice President Mike Pence all too seriously. So this is why this is our lead story, Charlie Sykes, a Wall Street journalist today warning that, quote, some fanatic could take Trump seriously and literally. Another seven years too late to the parade, but I welcome them. This has been the threat all along. And I wonder what it is that makes McConnell, as of today, we've checked, um, still someone who would vote for Trump in 2024 should he be the nominee again. Well, there's two things going on here. Number one, it is ugly rhetoric. It does need to be uh, condemned. It needs to be seen in the context of the uh, increasing passion of uh, people on the right 
for violence, including Donald Trump's embrace of QAnon, or the implicit threat uh, that uh, there would be chaos and insurrection if he's held uh, if he's held legally uh, accountable. But the second point is the one that you're addressing is the uh, is the complete lack of pushback from Republicans, including the unbearable lightness of of Rick Scott, who has presented multiple opportunities to say no racism and uh, and suggestions of death of death wishes is inappropriate. He wouldn't do it. And I think this is just a reminder that, you know, for a lot of Republicans who has presented multiple opportunities to say no racism and uh, and suggestions of death of death wishes is inappropriate, he wouldn't do it. And I think this is just a reminder that, you know, for a lot of Republicans, it's just they have become numbed by all of this, that, that they don't even try. They don't even go through the motions. And I think it's worth remembering you know, how we got to this moment. Um, you know, if you accept one big lie, you accept other big lies. If you're willing to swallow other racist rhetoric, you know, whether it's birtherism or, you know, the Mexican judge or asshole countries or Muslim bans, then, then you, you know, I mean, they, they've swallowed it all. And so why would they stop now when there's an election to win? So Rick Scott says, you know, racism is never okay. Well, he obviously doesn't mean that because he refuses to push back against it. He's ref- he refuses to denounce it, and he will enthusiastically support Donald Trump's return to the presidency. So this is a moment that's incredibly dangerous. And I have to say that as appalling as Trump's rhetoric is, the failure of grown-up Republicans or the alleged grown-up Republicans to say anything about it or to act as a circuit breaker, or to call for the de-escalation of the rhetoric, is even scarier because it means there are no guardrails. There's, there's, there's no, there is, is, is nothing that is, uh, is saying to Donald Trump, "Guy, could you just uh, tone it down? People are being killed. People are dying. There is real violence out there. This is irresponsible. We're hearing none of that." He loves it. And if you are violence. a student of sort of patterns of abuse, um, the abuser. Donald Trump in this scenario, I would argue all of them in the case of our democracy, but in terms of threatening other Republicans, um, this is what he can count on. This is Mitch McConnell saying Trump would have his vote again to Jonathan Swan. Well, as a Republican leader of the Senate, it should not be a front page headline that I will support the Republican nominee for president. After you've said that about him, I think it's astonishing. I I think I have an obligation to support the the nominee of of my party. And uh, is there anything I, you could do? I will. That will mean that whoever the nominee is has gone out and earned the nomination. Okay, but Donald Trump earned it last time. And I'm just trying to understand, you know, what you say matters. You're, you're a very important voice in this country. You're the leader of your party. And you seem to hold two concurrent, conflicted no, positions. No, uh, not at all inconsistent. Uh, not at all inconsistent. I stand by everything what if I were to tell you that you can earn $6,000 a month without working 40 hours a week? Mealy mouth, right. shit, Ted. This is Amber. By everything I said. I, I understand, but January 6th and everything I said on February the 13th. I understand that, but, but what I want to understand, which I haven't heard you address, is because I don't get to pick the Republican nominee for president. They're elected by the Republican voters all over the country. Claire, what Republicans have refused to participate in is leading. They did it after Donald Trump lost fair and square decisively to Joe Biden. They refused to say the election was over. So what Mitch McConnell gets wrong is he doesn't get to pick who the Republicans pick, but he does get to weigh in on what is true and what is not. And what was true was that Joe Biden won, and that was clear in November. It was clear to Donald Trump. It was clear to Donald Trump who was trying to—you you don't need to overthrow an election— 
and get your she defense like department Melania to cease voting machines if you actually won. He knew he <laughs> lost. Mitch McConnell knew he lost. And perpetuating a lie is why Mitch McConnell's base will pick Donald Trump again. At what point, um, I mean, I know nuts. we're beyond the point where they've reaped what they've sown, but do you think threats against his wife and his safety break a circuit for McConnell publicly? You know, I'm just one slick, being ashamed and disappointed at my former friends who are not standing up to this kind of disgusting behavior. I am just one slick. Now, uh, here's a sentence that Mitch McConnell should practice in front of the mirror. I may vote for the Republican nominee, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure it's not Donald Trump. They should all try that out. Liz Cheney's doing it. She's saying she will do everything in her power to keep Donald Trump from power again. And that's what they should all be doing. And, I, you know, let me circle back to something Peter said. Because, you know, we've sat on this show week after week and called out the cowardice of the Republican leaders, their failure to do the right thing. One of the things that we have done with extremism around the globe and even in this country is go out to communities and talk to leaders, particularly religious leaders. Maybe it's time to call on all of the rabbis and priests and imams and ministers, especially evangelical ministers, to ask them to take, uh, evangelical ministers should take the gospel and put it up against what Donald Trump is doing. And talk about that guns are not the answer and violence is not the answer. Ministers and religious leaders in this country need to start taking a leadership role. They are sitting back and let Donald Trump speak with moral authority, with the immoral things he says and does. It is unbelievable to me. Republicans I've given up on. Maybe religious leaders. Maybe we should start trying to push them more. Tim Alberta um, did some incredible reporting about how radicalized many of them are as well. Um, I, I want to just keep this, what law enforcement has to deal with today um, in, in front of this conversation, because this is not an abstract possibility. It has arrived. Um, Pete Struck, the Times reports this. Lawmakers confront a rise in threats and intimidation and fear worse. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said her office can hardly keep up with the astronomical amount of threats she receives in a day. More than any other member except House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California, and Representative Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, according to what party leaders have told her, the onus is on the aides who answer the phones in her office, some as young as 19, to determine what constitutes a threat. So Ms. Ocasio-Cortez has taken matters into her own hands. Her office has a daily morning routine of creating a document with photos of the men who have made threats against the congresswoman so that she can recognize and avoid or report them. Since 2021, she spent more than $120,000 on security services, according to the data analyzed by the Times. Is this how it should be that a 19-year-old congressional staffer is fielding calls and assessing threats, or should she have more protection, Pete? No, of course.
course not, Nicole. A 19-year-old isn't suited to, pay to go through and evaluate the threat and try and decide what is credible and what is not credible and do that sort of analysis and have only their, you know, 19 years of life on this earth is the experience to guide that. You know, what's horrifying is that's the sort of thing I did when I worked abroad. That's the sort of thing I had to do growing up abroad in the Middle East or in West Africa. The notion that anybody in America should be sitting there having to evaluate threats that are coming into their person, to their email, to alter the routes they're taking to and from work, to sleep in different places. That's just incredibly disturbing. And the fact is, you know, they, they give the example because of, of, uh, uh, of a Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, but it's not just limited to Congress. We That's see threats the to judges. We yeah. see threats to the executive, to law enforcement. Lock him the fuck up, the idiot. Board. And that's not anything that certainly, you know, a 19-year-old junior staffer should be have that responsibility on their hands to keep somebody from violence. And Charlie, let's be really clear, you and I especially, this is not a problem of our politics writ large. This is a problem in the Republican Party. You write this in the bulwark. The infatuation with violence truly does extend throughout the entire Republican conservative vertical. At the grassroots level, we have the Michigan militia guys storming the state capitol with long guns. At the professional level, you have think tankers ranging from Michael Anton arguing that violent revolution is an important part of the American tradition to Julie Kelly claiming that police provoke the insurrectionists. Then there are the actual Republican politicians dancing around the glorification of violence. You remember the Eric Greitens ad where he and armed men breach a house hunting for rhinos? Can you find some Democrats somewhere stoking violence and division? Probably, but that's not where the main body of the party is, either at the grassroots or the elite levels. One of America's political parties is, more or less, operating within the American political norms that have held for most of our lifetimes. The other is flirting with political violence as an alternative means of power. Have we, I think that is exactly right. Have we made the adjustment? Do we know what we're in for this November ahead of the midterms? This is the party. This was not where the party was two years ago. This is not going to be 2020, and anyone who thinks it is, is thinking too favorably about what's to come. Do you think we've adjusted to this reality you describe on the American right ahead of this year's midterms? Uh, well, first of all, it, that, was, that was wonderful. That was not written by me. That was written by my friend and colleague, J.B. Last, in, in, in the Bulwark, but I agree with everything he says. And no, we have not a hey, big heads up. Uh, any of you out there that are trying to get your business to the next level, one to ten, ten to maybe fifty, fifty to a hundred, or above that, trying to get to a billion dollar mark. There's four things that I've learned in business in the last ten years that literally allowed me to create a three million dollar. What's this shit? Fuck off. Get off my screen. rapidly um, uh, in real time and I don't know that we've caught up with the extent of it. And can I just say something about Asian Americans? Because I think that the bigotry against Asian Americans has been something that, that we have tolerated for way too long in this mm-hmm. country and you know, yes, the, you know, the threats of violence are, are very, very real but but just to take, take a moment to realize that you have the former president of the United States reaching back to this long tradition of anti-Chinese bigotry with the Coco Chow comment and 
the violence against Asian Americans has been um, low-level, chronic, um, but growing around the country. And and I think that that for a variety of reasons, we perhaps uh, don't react as strongly to it as if he had said something uh, that had been offensive about um, a Jewish wife of of a, of, a, of a U.S. senator, or if he had said this about an African American or even an Hispanic American. But uh, the, the threats against Asian Americans ought to be a real concern. And the way in which he is weaponizing concern about China to go after her because of her, of her ethnicity is itself extremely dangerous. So this is the problem of Donald Trump, is that he has brought into the mainstream so many of these dangerous and toxic ideas. And as you point out, look, it, this is only coming from the right at the moment, um, and it is being normalized, and there is no indication whatsoever that the Republicans are pushing back. And as a result, it doesn't take a lot of people uh, out there, demented uh, uh, individuals who uh, are influenced by this, uh, who listen to this kind of rhetoric, who, who act. So it, it, is, it is a dangerous time, and I think it's far more Paramilitary dangerous than, motherfuckers. The day than many of us realize. Ominous last words when we come back. Opening statements just wrapped up in the. Deadline Earlier today, a jury heard opening arguments in the trial of Stuart Rhodes and four other members of the right-wing militia group, the Oath Keepers. That's over their actions surrounding the January 6th insurrection. The five are facing seditious conspiracy charges. Those are the most serious offenses that have been charged to any January 6th defendant so far. In his opening statement last hour... Prosecutor Jeff Nessler laid out the aims of the Oath Keepers on January 6th, saying this, quote, they concocted a plan for an armed rebellion to shatter a bedrock of American democracy. Federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. all day. This really is about Donald Trump directing the mob. This is this is already out today in the battle lines that have been drawn legally, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, essentially the communications I think that we're going to be focused on in this in this trial as it rolls out is that there is this a communication that uh, Stuart Rhodes had on the night of January 6th where he was talking to somebody who was apparently a Trump intermediary um, in the room of a hotel and essentially calling upon Donald Trump um, and calling up, telling this Trump intermediary to put him directly in contact with Trump and to convert, tell Trump to call upon these militias to step up to step in and essentially stop the peaceful transfer of power. There's a number of overlaps between the Oath Keepers uh, and the Trump folks in this, and I think we're going to get more of that as this trial sort of uh, plays out, but it really is, you know, it re is remarkable just to hear this this defense from these Oath Keepers saying that, listen, we thought all of this was legal because we thought Donald Trump was going to usurp democracy, and we thought he was going to step in and essentially declare himself uh, the leader of the United States outside of a legal process. It's, it's and essentially do a coup. Like, that's essentially what the, the uh, uh, the defendants are are alleging here uh, in their de in their defense. So it is a very unique uh, defense, and uh, we'll see how that goes with uh, with a jury and whether or not they buy that or not. Nicole. Yeah, that was pretty good. Deadline White House, eh? 
that was interesting. Deadline Rhinos. This was posted just two hours ago. It's already got 1.6k. Oh my god. One hour ago. How would a second Trump administration use the military? Applying Moxie Lash Magnetic Lashes is so easy. To prove it, we've asked this dude oh to god, put them it's on for the scary to Did you hear about the coup over the weekend in Burkina Faso? Military no. leaders took over the West African country's TV broadcasts to announce they had removed the previous military leader who had been in power <laughs> since ousting the country's president back in January. Believe it or not, it's the fifth African nation to suffer a military coup in the past two years there's also mali chad guinea and sudan all countries plagued by as the new york times puts it insecurity poor governance and frustrated youth what country isn't plagued by insecurity poor governance and frustrated youth these days but still our country has nothing to do with those countries when you think of military officers taking power you don't think of america you think of Argentina or Spain or Pakistan or Myanmar or even civilian leaders like Putin using war and national security to impose a militarized totalitarian state on their citizens. But today, let's ask the question, could one of those scenarios happen here? Looking at our institutions, our constitutional system, it seems absurd. You'd be an elected commander-in-chief who had no qualms about using the military, our military, as a personal army. Remember the old days of General MacArthur and General Patton and these great generals? Now, we must have somebody in there. talk about the Na how great the Nazi generals were. Generals, generals are going to keep us so safe. These are central casting. If I'm doing a movie... I pick you, General. Everybody knows exactly what happened, so... And what I do is I authorize my military. I have generals that are great generals. My generals and my military, they have decision-making ability. Yes, it's easy to forget now, but Donald Trump saw the military as his own private plaything. And he got frustrated when his generals pushed back. Like when he demanded a military parade in Washington on the 4th of July. That's when, according to longtime Washington reporters Susan Glasser and Peter Baker, Trump's number two man at the Air Force, General Paul Selva, told him, quote, I didn't grow up in the United States. I actually grew up in Portugal. Portugal was a dictatorship and parades were about showing the people who had the guns. And in this country, we don't do that. It's not who we are. Even then, Trump asked him, so you don't like the idea? Selva said, no, it's what dictators do. But that was Trump's entire vibe, dictator chic, and he wanted his generals to help him achieve it, which is why, according to Glasser and Baker, Trump loudly complained to his chief of staff, former Marine General John Kelly, quote, you effing generals, why can't you be like the German generals? Which generals, Kelly asked? Trump responded, the German generals in World War II. That's right, Trump reportedly wanted his generals to be more like the Nazi Wehrmacht, but unfortunately for him, he kept getting generals like Mark Milley, his last chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who later told multiple reporters he was worried the president would try to enlist the military in his effort to stay in office after refusing to concede the 2020 election. That's exactly and then, of course, to came the Capitol insurrection on January the 6th, 2021, when nearly one-fifth of the defendants were military members or veterans. 
For Millie and current Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin, himself a former general, January 6th drove home the importance of combating far-right extremism within the ranks of the US military. But still, it's not as if Republicans more broadly are suddenly clamoring to purge the military of conscientious officers who take their oath to the Constitution seriously, right? We just have to get uh, serious again, and it means purging the military of the left-wing generals, you know? I'm yes. sure there's a lot of center-right or apolitical colonels that we can promote. That's Arizona GOP Senate nominee Blake Masters. In case you're wondering, Masters has never served in the military. Masters is calling for what sounds a lot like a Stalinist purge of left-wing generals. All this liberal bias run amok in the American military. No, seriously, who is he talking about? He's got to put American troops first. Not defense contractors, not foreign refugees. Sure as hell, not woke generals like General White Rage Millie. You see, in addition to worrying about Donald Trump and domestic extremists, Millie also had the temerity to push back when Republicans like right-wing Congressman Matt Gates charged the U.S. military with being too woke. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers, of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. So it goes like this, right? Huh. I tell you, you can learn how to make your first $1,000 in art in our libraries that are out there. Gates and Masters aren't the only Republicans targeting Millie for political retribution. Last month, six people familiar told NBC News that if Republicans take the House in November, they plan to subpoena Millie and grill him on such pressing matters as wokeness in the armed forces. For the far right, hating Millie is like hating Anthony Fauci or James Comey, imperfect men whose real sin was not using their government power to back all of Donald Trump's plays. Now, for them, Millie represents a military establishment that owes its allegiance to the law and not to a single man, to their beloved dear leader. I mean, can you imagine the armed forces run by an appointee who consistently talks about the military like this? Did you know that a governor can declare war? Governor can declare war. And we, we're going to probably, we're going to probably see that. He needs to seize all of these Dominion and these other uh, voting machines that we have across the country. I want to know why what happened in Minamar can't happen here. No reason. I mean, it, it should happen. If you find yourself having to walk back statements backing a coup in the U.S., maybe you're the problem. That was former yeah. Trump national security advisor and QAnon conspiracy pusher Mike Flynn. What would you say if you saw this in another country, a former national security advisor openly talking about military coups and governors declaring war? If Trump comes back in 2024, you know what he'll do. He's basically saying it out loud. Yes, he's going to purge the civil service. Yes, he's going to use federal power against migrants, transgender kids, women who have abortions. And yes, he'll make it harder to vote. But there's one more thing he's going to do. He tried to do it the last time he was president, when he wanted to use the military to crush American street protests. 
after the police killing of George Floyd in 2020. His then Defense Secretary Mark Esper says Trump asked him, can't you just shoot them? Just shoot them in the legs or something? Using the military against the American people. And General Milley later even told lawmakers that members of the 82nd Airborne had been mobilized with bayonets and little to no crowd training. In fact, after the violent clearing of Lafayette Square outside the White House, General Mark Milley drafted a resignation letter that he never submitted. In it, he told Trump, quote, It is my belief that you were doing great harm, great and irreparable harm to my country. I believe that you have made a concerted effort over time to politicize the United States military. I thought that I could change that. I've come to the realization that I cannot. He never sent the letter. He stayed on. And he tried to stay some of Trump's worst impulses. So, of course, the GOP has targeted Millie now. And, of course, they want to give Trump what he wants. So how bad could it get in a second Trump administration? Maybe we don't become Burkina Faso overnight or Russia. But could we see the military leadership purged of dissenting voices and then the military deployed against the American people? I mean, don't take my word for it. Take Trump's. No traders in Maisie Hassan, okay.
down oh my god they're already fucking root they already took it down <laughs> why did they take it down already I'm going to take away this, uh, part about the church. I guess it's maybe because I had other stuff about the church. Senior advisor to the left leaning group Vote Vets. Uh, General, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Allow me to just dive into what may be a worst case scenario, I admit. Say it's January 2025 and Donald Trump has just been inaugurated again. A QAnon courting aide like Mike Flynn or Cash Patel becomes acting defense secretary. They start handpicking generals for top commands. There are mass protests on the streets against a second Trump term. At that point, what prevents Trump from using the military against demonstrators? What makes that not a realistic scenario? Actually, uh, first, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Second, uh, your lead-in was excellent. It was not hyperbolic. It was very, very cool, calm, collected, and a quick address all of the problem. Uh, third, I would like to uh, say thank you and uh, demonstrate my pride in Army and generally uh, military senior uniformed leadership and our civilian leadership. We're doing a great job. And uh, those are specifically the men and women who are going to make sure that what you just outlined will not happen. That said, here's what can happen. We go through a hire and fire process. It is overwatched by the Senate. Our Senate requires confirmation for all promotion lists. 
specifically interested in how we select our general officers and admirals and the lists that go before the senate can be manipulated by the senate they can make their call on who is going to go forward for promotion and who will not so a selective process to create A, a coterie of uh, clients and uh, supplicant general officers and admirals is possible in our system if the president uh, makes it so so we know that the president wants to do something along those lines we have republicans like blake masters running for the senate in arizona who say they want a political purge of the officers ranks uh, vice magazine spoke to former clinton and bush national security aide peter fever a navy veteran about the bastards plan he compared it fever compared it to the soviet purges that left the red army leaders list on the eve of world war ii and even to russia putting yes men in charge of the military before the current ukraine disaster fever said and i quote that's close to what stalin and putin did and that didn't work out well for them masters cure is far worse than the disease like taking it down as fast as i can post it what would a purge what would a purge like that do to the combat readiness of our armed forces Specifically, uh, a taking purge down like my that own. coming out Back. of some of the more extreme uh, Republican spokesmen is something that is possible within the system that we have right now. So they, it, it is possible to uh, to do that, uh, but we have uh, certain uh, capabilities within the government of the United mm -hmm. States and within systems in the United States. Uh, the fourth estate is a primary uh, uh, aid to sanity that uh, that we have. So the press is our conduit. To the American people. Congress is our conduit to the American people. And if 
we are able to retain a Democratic Party-led House and a Democratic Party-led Senate, uh, we're going to be okay. But... There is a terrific amount of vigilance that we've got to demonstrate to make sure that uh, that, that happens and that uh, we deny these extreme uh, spokespeople who are out to get what they 